Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, and man, today's very special UFC 199 edition of Half the Battle is super cool because it's just me and the MMA genius chilling, talking fights. So, uh, what's up, MMA genius? Uh, it's going good, man. Uh, I'm ready to cash these underdogs once again. Oh, yeah. yeah that's uh, that's what we're known for. <laughs> you know, Caraway plus 350 last week. Unfortunately, our boy Tomas Almeida couldn't pull through, but... Uh, Champions adapt and overcome, and we're going to adapt and overcome right here, right now on Half the Battle. And you know what? We'll go ahead and start with Strickland and Breeze. We'll get to the other early prelims later. But, I mean, when you talk about a guy like Sean Strickland, he's plus 120, and Tom Breeze is minus 140. I mean, these are two highly touted up-and-comers, and they got interesting styles. You know, they're both very tall for the weight class. And interestingly enough, you know, Tom Breeze does have – a couple inches in height on Sean Strickland, but Sean Strickland actually has the reach advantage. And another thing about this fight is I think Sean Strickland is more experienced. He knows what it's like to lose a fight and come back, get back in the win column. And in his last performance against Alex Garcia, we really saw the best Sean Strickland we've ever seen. Now with Tom Breeze, he comes into the UFC, he knocks out Luis Dutra in impressive fashion. Then he knocks out Cajal Pendred, who, you know, Everyone knew Kahal Pender for winning those 30-27s that everyone thought he lost. And then he goes in there, you know, in his hometown against Keita Nakamura. He's a minus 1,000 favorite. He's the first fight on the main card. They're setting him up, you know, for a big showcase. He's expected to knock this guy out. And he arguably lost that fight, dude. So, you know, maybe he doesn't react well to the pressure. And there's definitely going to be pressure here because this time he's fighting in Strickland's hometown and he's on the featured fight pass prelim. So it's going to be interesting. You know, in my personal opinion, not just the fact that Strickland's the dog, but his experience. I think he's got more fight in him. I like the way that he, uh, you know, some guys slip and rip, but Strickland touches and goes. Now, a lot of people like to talk about how Oh, well, Santiago Ponzinibbio was able to hit Strickland a bunch of times. But you know what? Santiago Ponzinibbio throws big hooks and not straight punches. And what does Breeze do? He throws straight punches, which is exactly what Strickland's game is. He's a very technical guy, moves around a lot, clean, crisp, straight punches. And I think he does what Breeze does. He just does it better, man. So... I'm going to take a one-unit shot on that plus 120 Sean Strickland. I'm going to wait a little bit, see if the line gets better, because I do know Breeze is very hyped, and I will take it from there. Yeah, man, I completely agree. I think um, the matchup, as they match up, you know, Strickland has really good parries. He blocks straight punches very well, and he counters with hooks, uh, the jab. He's rocked in that Santiago fight, as we mentioned earlier, he rocked Ponzinibbio like twice with a jab. He rocked uh, Garcia initially with a jab. And um, I just think he's a little bit more meaner, man. I think uh, when they his ground and pound is really nasty. We almost saw him knock out Garcia in the first round with ground and pound. He beat up uh, Igor, Igor Arujo with ground and pound. He, and he uh, beat up uh, McDaniel with ground and pound before he subbed him. I just think he has a bit of more of a mean streak. And um, I think uh, Breeze is going to waste time trying to, you know, look pretty and look cute. Not saying that Strickland doesn't as well, but I think uh, Strickland's slightly more active. And I think he's a better grappler, and I think he's going to pull out the win. Yeah, and another interesting thing to note about this fight is Strickland has great takedown defense. And, you know, I'm sure Breeze does too, but in that last fight with Nakamura, you know, his takedown defense wasn't really on display there. Well, yeah, even in uh, Strickland's last fight, he got taken down by Garcia, you know, a way bigger, stronger, stronger physically guy, but he swept him once. He got back up every single time. And um, when he gets on top, man, he's just so vicious with that ground and pound. He's an animal. And um, 
You know, Breeze, he hasn't tasted defeat yet, and Strickland has. So, and everyone has to taste defeat at some point. So, we'll see. Yeah, and another thing about this fight is people like to talk about Tom Breeze height advantage as if, you know, Sean Strickland's never fought a taller opponent before. But if you recall, Sean Strickland versus Luke Barnett. Luke Barnett's six foot six. Now I know a lot of people think Barnett won that fight, but uh I recall cashing an underdog ticket on Sean Strickland there. So, you know, I don't really know what they're talking about. And this fight will be close too, but I believe the underdog will prevail. And I gotta go with Sean Strickland. And my boy uh smiling Sam Alvey, he's putting down a lot on Sean Strickland too. So uh take his advice, take my advice, take the MMA genius advice. Let's catch this Sean Strickland underdog play. Now next up, we got Jessica Penne. She's minus 150, and the comeback on Jessica Andrade is plus 130. And it's interesting because we've been saying for a while that Jessica Andrade, she needs to drop a weight class. In this case, it's two weight classes because, you know, they don't have that flyweight division uh, for the women. But, uh, you know, she's she's a little bulldog. She's a bulldozer. You know, she's short. She's compact. She's powerful. The biggest issue with Jessica Andrade is she'll randomly give up her back. And, uh, you know, when she did that against Moraz, she didn't pay for it, but when she did that against Raquel Pennington, she paid for it for sure. Now with Penne, I would say Penne is better everywhere, but there's a big, big factor going into this fight. She's coming off a life-changing beating to the hands of Joanna Janjacek. I mean, she had to have facial reconstruction surgery, and you know what I'm saying? Like, she's, uh, I, I really don't know where her head's at. I mean, if this is the best Jessica Penny we've ever seen, then yes, she should win this fight, but you can't bank on that. And we've all been saying that Jessica Andrade needs to drop a weight class. So, dude, I'm actually going to go with the underdog here. I'm not going to put a bet on it just because, you know, how these fights go. Uh, I don't really have much confidence in it. But from a picking perspective, I will go with Andrade. Yeah, I mean, uh, Penne is definitely better on the mat. Um, I would actually say Andrade is better on the feet. I mean, um, we've seen Penne get outstruck by Carla Esparza <laughs> and Tough. Or, um, I don't think she necessarily likes getting hit, per se. But um, she's got some, you know, she uses her range fairly well. But she's got some good uh, judo tosses. And she's really flexible on the mat. And she's really hot, too. So, um, But Andrade definitely has, definitely has a size advantage, but like you said earlier, her cardio is suspect, and she will give up that back, and she will tap. So um, I think Penne could take this as long as she survives the first round and somehow weathers the storm. But um, I'm definitely not betting on the fight, but if I were, I'd probably check out that uh, fight starts round three. But um, I'll take Andrade as well, I guess. Yeah, another thing to note, if you're trying to bet on this fight, which I don't necessarily recommend, what I would recommend is you watch the weigh-ins because you got to see how that cut two weight classes down went for Andrade, especially considering the fact that she doesn't have, you know, the use of IVs here. But in California, they're doing something different. You know, normally they all weigh in at a certain time, but now in California, you can weigh in as early as 10 a.m. in the morning up until 5 p.m. So who knows if that's going to benefit the athletes. I, I assume it would. An another thing is uh, Pinne used to be in uh, Adam weight, uh, 105 pounds, so Andrade is definitely going to have a big size advantage. It's just a matter of not gassing out, and she's cutting an extra 20 pounds, so that's a there's a good chance that can happen. But um, I think she can just rough her up in some areas, but um, it's either a dog or pass for me. Now next up, here's where shit gets real. We got Benil Dariush. She's minus 185, and the comeback on James Vick is plus 160. Now, 
I like Benny a lot. Only I like James Vick more. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you guys should go check out my interview with Benil Dariush. I mean, real cool dude. He really gets this game. And uh, he's a great fighter. I mean, he's a southpaw. He's a world championship jujitsu guy. Unbelievable left kick. Trains with Master Hoffa. I mean, you don't want to get kicked by this guy. And his hands actually aren't half bad either. He's Benny's a top 10 fighter in the UFC lightweight division. Now, uh, you know, it's funny because whenever I talk about Vic's fights, everyone's like, oh, he's your boy, you're biased, and this and that. Listen, I'm trying to break down this fight objectively, and I believe I described Benil's style objectively. Now, let's talk about Vic. I mean, tallest man in the UFC lightweight division, six foot three. How he makes 155 is beyond me, you know, but he's so mentally strong that to him, he, he doesn't he doesn't care. It's never been like, oh, I need to go up a weight class because I can't make 55 anymore. The guy wants to be a world champion. He believes it deep in his heart. He writes these things down. He has a date set of when he wants to be the world champion. And as far as the styles match up, I mean, obviously Vic loves to pump that jab. He likes to move around a lot. He's, he's a mover. He's a hit and run guy, but he can knock dudes out too. He knocked Darren Crookshank out cold with a knee. And uh, man, he snaps dudes' heads back with his punches. Also, his ground game. It's not half bad either. I mean, a lot of people criticize his takedown defense, but he always gets back up to his feet. He never gets laid on. You know, in that last fight with Glaco Franca, he told me that, you know, he wanted to submit Glaco with a triangle, so that's why he was playing on bottom for so long. But once he looked up at the clock and realized there were only two minutes left, then he was like, fuck, I got to get back up. And as soon as he tried to get back up, he got back up, so it was no problem. Now, we all know Benny has a completely different ground game than Glaco Franca. However, I don't think Benny's entries to his takedowns are as good as Franca. If you've, you know, there's a reason Benny only has a 34% takedown accuracy. It's because he, uh, he dives in from a mile away, but his striking is so good that it makes up for it. And when he finally does drag someone down to the ground, I mean, he is very, very dangerous. But his cardio has been a bit suspect in certain fights. You know, he'll come out super strong and he'll start huffing and puffing in that second round. And he can get away with it against guys like Jim Miller. He can get away with it against guys like Darren Cruikshank. He's not going to get away with it against a cardio machine like James Vick. And uh, another thing, I heard an interview with Benny Dariush on my boy uh, Nick Baldwin's show, The MMA Circus. And Benny says that Vick has zero ground game. So, uh... That, 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 that's a good sign for anyone taking a shot on Vic. We'll see how zero of a ground game he has because, you know, if Darius shoots in from a mile away and he gets his neck caught in one of those guillotines, I don't care, you know, what jujitsu credentials you have. You're getting tapped out. But do I see that happening? I don't. What I do see happening is Vic's going to pop, pop. He's going to circle around that ring, flying knee, leg kick, and he's going to knock out Benil Darius late in the fight or win a decision. It's going to be a great one, and uh, that's definitely the fight to watch, and Vic is your fighter to watch. And I put three units, or I'm about to put three units, on James Vic. I mean, listen, he's plus 160 now. Let's see if it gets better, but regardless, listen, this guy wants that top 10 ranking bad. Dariush is a guy that said he won't fight the champion because it's his training partner. So, yeah, I get it. Brotherhood, loyalty, this and that. One guy wants to be champion, the other doesn't. So I mean, you guys handle it however you want, but uh, Vic's gonna get the victory here. Yeah, um, <clears throat> this is definitely you know Vic's by far the biggest test of his uh, career, besides uh, I guess fighting Kiesa on Tough. But um, you know he's the underdog in this fight, which you know automatically has my attention. Um, 
you know, Benil's last two fights, you know, he's been looking lethargic. Um, we know Benil as a very good kicker, extremely hard body kicks, you know, amazing jiu-jitsu. But um, we know that if you put pressure on him and volume, that he is known to fold. Um, James Vick, I mean, this guy really doesn't know how to lose, you know. I, mean, I know he's never fought anyone on this level before, but if we've... In uh, Benil's fights, we've seen, like, uh, remember in the Tony Martin fight, that first round, just the style matchup, Tony Martin came out throwing a lot of nice, crisp, straight punches, and uh, Benil Darius was getting popped. And, you know, Vic, in that second round against Glyco, uh Franco, that was an onslaught of straight punches, hooks, and uh, flying knees and front kicks. And, I mean, he put on a boxing clinic. The thing with this fight is James Vic is going to have to be ready for the takedown. He's going to have to be ready to sprawl. He's going to have to be ready for those back takes against the fence. But um, if he can somehow nullify that, I think he can win this fight on the feet with volume and accuracy. And um, at plus 160, I definitely uh, want to take that shot. And um, I just think uh, he has a chance to win this fight. Um, Benil Dariush, I will say, is the more powerful puncher. He kicks more harder. But um, in terms of just... When the fight, when he has to fight, fight, like we've seen, we've seen him, we've seen what happens. And um, I think Vic's going to pull it out. And you know, it's interesting. A lot of people like to say shit like, oh, they have a common opponent. They both lost to Kiesa. Well, you know what? They have two other common opponents too. They both fought Crookshank. And in my opinion, that was Benil Dariush's best performance. And you know, Vic obviously knocked him out in the first round. And then they got another opponent, another common opponent. And that's Ramsey Nijem. And, uh... Vic choked Ramsey Nijem out in under a minute, and Bendy got knocked out by Ramsey Nijem in the first round. Not that MMA math works, but just saying, for everyone that likes to be like, well, their common opponent is Kiesa, you're right, but they have two other common opponents, and you should look at that too. Now, let's talk about the out. Go ahead. Well, uh, another thing is, you know, another thing Vic's going to have to do, we all know that he leaves his chin he leaves his chin up in the air, and this is the fight where he cannot do that, or he, he could get knocked out. Not saying that Benil is known for the power in his hands or anything, but this might be the time that he goes down, but um, he has to keep that chin down. Well, he knows. I mean, have you heard my last uh, podcast with him? He knows that he has to keep his chin down. And, I mean, if you watch his fight with Glaco with the corner audio, I mean, his corner knows him better than anyone else. And they were like, chin down, Vic. And when they told him what to do, he listened. But as far as the outside factors of this fight are concerned, Benny just opened up a gym. You know, he's got so many distractions. And when you open up a gym, I mean, people don't understand the financial investment, the financial burden. You don't just start making money the first week. It's not just showing up at the gym no more. You know, this is serious business. And you know, if he's not fully focused on training, James Vick isn't the guy you want to go up against. But at the same time, like you said, MMA genius, this is the biggest step up in Vick's career. But I do think he will rise to the occasion. And at plus 160 or better, or even worse, even plus 150, I'm going to put three units on it. I mean, Vick's putting more on it, so I'll, I'll put three on it. Let's see, let's see what happens here. I think he's going to finish or decision Dariush. Now, next up, shit just keeps getting real, doesn't it? Well, actually, these best fight odds are completely out of order because it says Bobby Green versus Dustin Poirier, but it's actually 
Brian Ortega versus Clay Guida up next. So we got Brian Ortega. He's minus 275. And the comeback on Clay the Carpenter Guida is plus 235. And, you know, it's funny. When this fight first got announced, dude, I was like, oh, yeah, Brian Ortega's going to tap him out in the first round. You know, he should be minus 500, this and that. But the more I thought about it, Guida might actually be live in this fight, as crazy as that sounds. Now, I'm not going to take the shot because I'm very high on T-City Ortega. The reason they call him T-City is because, I mean, of his triangles, man. I mean, the triangle chokes on this dude. He can pull him out of anywhere. And there's been fights before where he's been losing the entire fight, and then he caught someone in the third round. I'm not just referring to the Diego Brandao fight. I'm referring to the Jordan Rinaldi fight, too. He was getting beat up by Jordan Rinaldi, and then he caught him with that triangle in the third round. So T-City's heart... You cannot underestimate it. And Guida, he's an aging competitor on his way out of the game. But, man, he's got that style to nullify dudes. I mean, he nullified Anthony Pettis. He submitted Rafael Dos Anjos. I didn't think he beat Nate Diaz, but he got he got the victory somehow. Yeah. He's, he's got big wins under his belt. He's got the style to nullify you. At the end of the day, I do think he's going to get caught with a submission. But honestly, if someone tells me they're taking that shot on Guida and they hope that he stays in the top position for three rounds and avoids the subs, I don't blame them. I just personally can't do it. I think that this will be a good uh, – this is a good step up for Ortega. You know, I mean, he went from uh, – uh, what's in the first dude? Delatore from Delatore to Tiago Tavares to Diego Brandao. Now Clay Guida. It's the next logical progression in his career. Yeah, um, it's kind of hard to fade Ortega with the ground game like that, considering that he's fighting Guida, who you know is going to shoot that typical double leg. You know, um, I suppose if Guida could stay out of the sub, he could definitely outwork him, stay on top. Hopefully Ortega gasses out and uh, stays on his back and plays jiu-jitsu. But, I mean, his jiu-jitsu is so good. So I just got to go with him. But um, I don't blame anyone for taking that shot on Guido. Ortega looked looked really sloppy the first two rounds against Diego Brandao. Um, he, he is one of those black house guys. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know... Guida's training at Alpha Male, I think, for this camp. So uh, I saw, I actually saw a picture of him. He's actually in really good shape. But um, I got to go with Ortega in this one. Second round sub. Yeah, I feel you, man. And I mean, the way Ortega transitions his subs, his composure on the ground, I mean, the guy's absolutely nasty. And if you watch, you go to YouTube, you type in a video of Brian Ortega and Henner Gracie rolling, I mean, it's uh, yeah. it's absolutely spectacular. So. You know, if Ortega's on his game, he's going to tap out Guida. But Guida's known for getting these upsets out of nowhere, upsetting the hyped prospects. I mean, look at his record. He beat Rafael, Pettis, and... Nate. And Even though he didn't really beat Nate, on his record, he beat Nate. And, and there's other dudes he's beat, too, yeah. you know? Didn't he beat... Uh, did he beat Josh Thompson, or did he lose to him? I don't remember. No, he, uh, yeah, I think he might have beat him for the strike for his yeah, belt back in the day. Yeah. And, and then he <laughs> lost to Gill or yeah, something. So. But bottom line, this dude's a total vet of the game sure. and if Ortega underestimates him he could you know get nullified but but we have seen Guida get sub by Bermudez by nine Tavares. times nine uh, times so I mean <laughs> it could be easily be a 10-1 real quick I mean to be honest he's gonna shoot that basic double leg or or try to switch it up against the fence and I just don't think uh, he can escape, but we'll see. You know, but what if uh, Guida tries to keep it standing? And okay. what if they get into a kickboxing if they, match? If they, if they get 
into a standing. Guido's striking is terrible, but so is Ortega's striking. Is Ortega's not striking either. is He's not just that tough good as either. fuck. But um, if it get if it becomes a war of attrition, I think Guido can pull it out. But uh, but will it will it become exactly, a war of attrition? Can he, can he get it to that point? Does he have it in him? Uh, we'll see. Yeah, definitely have to tune in. Not no bet on my part. Now, uh, next up, I think it's I think it's time to talk about Bobby Green versus Dustin Poirier, yeah, dude. I mean, listen. We got Dustin Poirier minus 220. Bobby King Green is plus 180. This is a hell of a matchup. I mean, Dustin Poirier, ever since he moved up to 155 pounds, I mean, oh my God. He's just, I mean, he's always been a killer. Even at 45, for the longest time, I've always felt like Dustin Poirier has been a top five fighter on planet Earth. And since he moved up to 155 pounds, he's been putting away dudes that don't normally put get put away. I'm talking about guys like Carlos Diego Ferreira. I'm talking about guys like Yancy Medeiros. You guys recall this fight a couple weeks back between Francisco Trinaldo and Yancy Medeiros. Francisco hit Yancy with everything but the kitchen sink, and Yancy wouldn't go down. Dustin Poirier hits him one time and he goes down. So, I mean, you, <laughs> Dustin is nothing to be fucked with. You watch that Joe Duffy fight, and it's funny. Uh, Dustin was a plus 200 underdog, which we cashed. And, uh... You know, it, it, it's interesting because Joe Duffy's known for his boxing, and uh, Dustin rocked him on the feet hard. He took him down to the ground. He butchered him 30-26. But I'll tell you what, it was the closest 30-26 I've ever seen in my life, dude. Exactly. And with uh, Bobby Green's case, he's been out a while, man. And, you know, he's he's very athletic. He's very talented. He's got good boxing. But he's a little bit – he plays around too much in there. And Dustin's not the guy – you want to play around with. You know, when I watched that Bobby Green versus Pat Healy fight live, I was like, wow, he's putting on a clinic. And then we watched it the other day. Dude, it was a lot closer than we initially thought. You know, at the end of the fight, Pat Healy Pat Healy put his hands up in the air like he won because in that third round, he was pounding on Bobby Green. Bobby Green was covering it up. He, you know, a couple seconds left, and that might have been a TKO finish for everyone that's listening and being like, oh, yeah, right. Why don't you go back and watch it? Because, I mean, it's all in the tape. And... You know, a lot of people thought Bobby Green lost to Josh Thompson. For me, you know, I cashed that plus 250. But still, a lot of people thought, I mean, that was a close decision. And then after that, he lost a decision to uh, Edson Barbosa long time ago. That was back when uh, when Edgar fought Swanson. That was, in, that, I believe, November 2014. Very long time ago. This guy's coming off a long layoff. Lots of things have changed in the sport since he's been gone. And Dustin Poirier, you know, one of the things that's changed is Dustin Poirier went up to 155 pounds. He's on a three-fight win streak. And I believe he'll continue that here, man. I actually think he's going to knock out Bobby Green, as crazy as that sounds. I think he will find a way to finish it. I think he wants it more. I think at this point in his career, he has what it takes to put away a guy as tough and as seasoned as Bobby King Green. I agree 100%. I mean, I I know you guys know I'm uh, a big Dustin Poirier fan, but uh, I just think um, he wants it more flat out. I think Bobby's talented. He's got probably got slightly faster hands. But um, the thing is, when Dustin Poirier lands, he's going to feel it, and he's going to feel it more. Bobby's not known for knocking guys out, and I, I got full confidence in Poirier's chin. As we've seen, we've seen Dustin get rocked plenty of times before and come back and win. And real quick, let me comment on that real quick. He got wobbled more at 45 than he does at 55 because the cut was tremendous. I know uh, when I talked to my boy Vic about it, he was like, yeah, what a pussy. But for me, when I look at it, I'm like, dude, if 
Dustin fought Akira Khorasani at 155 pounds. He, he would have knocked him out in the first exchange, whereas at 145, he's cutting too much weight. The entire camp is revolved around his diet, and he just couldn't handle it, man. But now at 155, the results are really translating. That power, his ability to take a punch, and, yeah, like you said, he, he's going to put out Bobby Green. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Bobby's no slouch, though, man. Bobby can do it all. He can wrestle. We saw him sub a great grappler in Volkman. We've seen him hold his uh, own on the... On the mat, he's hard to take down. Um, but in, I feel like Dustin just turned the corner his last fight. I mean, so many people were counting him out against Duffy. You know, yeah, he goes, uh, he goes through adversity. He gets wobbled on the feet early, but he comes back. He beats him back up on the feet, and we beat him up on the mat, and we taught him a lesson. But Bobby's a vet, man. He's uh, well-rounded, but I think Dustin Poirier is. I think, like you said earlier, Bobby Green wants to talk shit and play those games. This is not the guy for the job, and I think Dustin Poirier gets a finish. And I'm looking at that inside-the-distance prop. Yeah, definitely eyeing that inside-the-distance prop because, look, when you're fighting a slower guy, yeah, then you can keep your hands down, then you can brush your shoulders, then you can do that fancy head movement and pop their heads back with that jab. But when you're going against a guy like Dustin Poirier who's going to be in your face the entire fight and he's fully fed, he's hydrated, he's fast at 155 pounds, his, tr his power is just I mean, ridiculous. If you guys have been on the internet, just look at his uh, pitch. I mean, he's in the best shape of his life. Uh, but Bobby, Bobby's in the best shape of his life, too, and Bobby's coming. But I just think Dustin Poirier is on a whole different uh, level right now. And Bobby's going to feel that ring rust, too, in my opinion. And, you know, Dustin sets a pace right off the bat. And if you're coming off the layoff, Dustin, man. Dustin Poirier gets violent. Yeah. Very, very violent. And with, with that said, I know I'm picking Dustin. I know you guys hear me pumping him up, but I got all the respect in the world for Bobby, too. He's, oh, yeah. came, he's came through as the underdog many times. He's a seasoned vet of this sport. He's beat the fuck out of a lot of dudes. Bobby he's, Green is no fucking slouch. I mean, yeah, he's he, a serious fucking vet way back since the King of the Cage days. But um, I just think it's Dustin's time. I think it's Dustin's time, too. Now, next up, man. We got Hector Lombard. He's a minus 400 favorite. The comeback on Dan Hendo Henderson is plus 325. Now, this is a really interesting matchup, dude, because we're used to Hector Lombard fighting at 185 pounds or, or even 170 most recently. And Dan Hendo, we've seen this guy knock out Fedor at heavyweight. We've seen the wars with Shogun at 205, the fight with Machida at 205. I mean, Dan Hendo has been fighting a lot bigger men than Hector Lombard. Not to say that the smaller guy can't win here. I mean, the smaller guy is a minus 400 favorite for a reason because everyone thinks he's going to knock out Dan Hendo. But I see it a little bit differently, man. I think that Hector's coming back way too soon from a hellacious beating to the hands of Neil Magny, which, again, cash that underdog play. But, <laughs> but, uh, no, but you know, it's funny because... Neil Magny set a significant strike record on Hector Lombard's face in that fight, and he had to overcome adversity. And you know, let, let's put that side, let's put that fight on the back burner for a sec. In the UFC, Hector Lombard has been known to fight very, very close. I mean, that fight with Tim Bush, and and obviously we saw what Dan Hendo did to Tim Bush, you know, and that was old Dan Hendo. That wasn't prime Dan Hendo. Old Dan Hendo can still crack. It's just he's been fighting these big ass dudes. Now he's fighting a little dude, but the thing with the little dude is Hector's faster. He's also got a great grappling base, knockout power. But man, something about this plus 325 on Hendo, 
you know, I, th I think he can win this fight, man. I just think that Hector's coming back way too soon from a hellacious beating. You got to take six to eight months off when you get concussed like that. You don't just come back, you know, two months later. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely understand uh, Hendo's shot, but, I mean, just his chin. Once the chin goes, it goes. Um, Hector can still crack. He's still explosive in that first round, and that's when Hendo's most successful. <clears throat> that's most likely when he... You know, when he gets caught, but um, Hector could probably even take him down if he wanted to. But if he can't get that finish in the first round, Hector's just probably going to stand there and not throw. And that's Hendo's best chance to catch him with the right hand or just win a bullshit split decision, um, which Hector is known for losing. Um, but uh, I definitely understand that shot. I, I may look into it a little bit more, but just knowing how easy Dan goes down... I'm passing as of now. Yeah, I mean, I'm passing as of now, too, but I don't fault anyone for taking that shot. And I'm curious to see how Hector looks, man, because, you know, USADA's a bitch, man. USADA is no fucking joke. And Hector, okay, so his last two fights, I thought he looked bad against Berkman. A lot of people thought he looked good in that fight. I thought he looked like shit, dude. And then gets popped, takes a year off, comes back against Neil Magny, and, you know, gets a significant strike record set on his face. So I don't think that Hector is a minus 400 in this spot. Like, I can see people thinking that he'll knock out Hendo just because, you know, Hendo has gone down recently. But he's been going down the head kicks from Vitor Belfort and, you know, left hooks from Shogun, which those guys are known for their knockout power. And so is Hector. But Hector, he's five foot eight. Not that height matters, but, man, Hector's been fighting way smaller dudes and Hendo's been fighting bigger dudes, and minus 400, plus 325, I just think that Hendo's live here, but I mean, obviously I'm gonna pass, because I know if he loses, he's gonna get knocked out early, and it'll probably be a brutal knockout, but the fact that it is in LA, Hendo's fighting at home, maybe he's got uh, one H-bomb left in the tank, so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have to see what happens, man. Now next up, we got Max Blessed Holloway, he's minus 325, the comeback on Ricardo the Bully Lamas is plus 265, now, I hate bullies, so uh, I'm going to go with Max Holloway. Just, <laughs> now, even though his name, the bully, is probably because of the dog, a bully, I got to go with Max Holloway. I mean, listen, he is a minus 325 favorite, but I've been so impressed with this guy, not just because he's on an eight-fight win streak, not just because, you know, he's so young and he keeps on improving, but he's got that heart. He's got that will to win. He's got that, that something special about him. And with Ricardo Lamas... If you actually look at his resume, I mean, the dudes beat the who's who. And he's fought tall strikers before. And not just beat them, but finished them. I mean, I'm talking about guys like Eric Koch. He also beat James Krause, who's also another tall striker. But in 2016, I think Max Holloway is the way better fighter. And I think what's going to happen here is he's going to keep his distance. He's going he's gonna to pot shot him. He's going to mix up the spinning back kicks. And I actually, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I think he's going to knock out Ricardo Lamas. Ricardo Lamas has been knocked out three times and not just regular knockouts i'm talking vicious stiff out cold knockouts yuri alcantara danny castillo chad mendez those are the three right and uh with max holloway you know here's here's the thing let's talk about ricardo for a sec he's actually really fucking good man i mean his boxing is not half bad and the thing is 
even in the fights that he gets caught in, he's actually winning them before he gets caught. Like that Chad Mendes fight, he was actually, he was, he, like he was picking good, apart yeah. Chad Mendes, and then he just got caught. <laughs> and the thing is, you don't want to get caught, you know, against a guy like Holloway, and you don't want to get caught when you have a chin like Lamas does. Another interesting thing about this fight, a lot of people don't know because they consider Max Holloway to be a very rangy striker, which he is. He actually has a short-ass reach. He's got like a 69-inch reach, and he makes it seem like he has a 75-inch reach. So Lamas has the reach advantage, but when you watch this fight, you will see Max Holloway dictating the distance, dictating the range, and picking apart Ricardo Lamas till the bell, until the final bell rings and he gets his arm raised in a unanimous decision, or till he peppers him and puts him away. I could totally see a finish here. No play on my part. I don't fault the shot on Lamas just because he is an experienced vet. He has been in there with everyone. But the thing I don't like about Lamas is, you know, he gets his title shot against Jose Aldo, and then and then he runs away the entire time. Like it, that to me is a sign of a journeyman not wanting it when you get your biggest opportunity. You know, go out on your shield, man. Go out there, give it everything you got. He did not give it everything he had in his opportunity to become world champ. And then you fight Diego Sanchez. I know no one's put Diego Sanchez away except BJ Penn, but. You know, you would have thought that Ricardo would, would have put him away there. And I don't know, man. Ricardo, I just think Max wants it more. He's at a better point in his career, younger, fresher. It could be a setback, but I don't see it. I see Max Holloway piecing him up. Yeah. Um, if, you know, I was doing a parlay, <clears throat> if I was doing a parlay, I would definitely, you know, look to parlay Max uh, with someone. But, um as far as Lamas goes, from a betting perspective, I mean, he's definitely capable of winning the fight. I definitely think he's going to try to dive on the legs the first second he gets. Um, even on the feet, I mean, he's got good volume with his kicks at times. He's got good hands. He's solid everywhere, but sometimes he just decides not to show up and decides to slack off. And I just think Max, at this point, he's just so driven for this. I mean, he's so close to the title shot. And just the way he uses that distance and the, his just the variation of his techniques. I mean, all those kicks, the hands, the spinning. And he's even got good takedowns. I mean... He's got good guillotine chokes, He's got too. good guillotine <laughs> chokes. I mean, the dude's so well-rounded. He's young. I mean, Lamas, he's solid. I mean, he's a vet. He's definitely capable of winning this fight. So I definitely understand at plus 265 taking that shot. But I think Max is just going to win a... Nice 30-27. Yeah, and I'll give Ricardo Lamas a lot of credit. He does a kick that I really like. He kicks dudes in the back of the calf, and that's something that a lot of guys don't practice in the training room, so when you actually get the shin to the back of your calf, you're going to feel that shit. And word on the street is that after the Jose fight, Jose was actually limping in the hotel, and I'm like, Lamas didn't even fight, and he's making dudes limp. So you can never sleep on a guy like Lamas. He's no slouch. I just think Max is way better. Another thing is Lamas has a really good guillotine. Max has got to be really careful. We've seen him almost sub Hatsu with that shit like three times and Bermudez. So um, if he somehow slips like on a flying kick, he's got to be ready to, you know, defend that. But um, I think he's going to win this fight. I do too. And I heard some people talking about the Bermudez fight and they were like, well, Lamas took him down and subbed him. Actually, he dropped him with a jab and then subbed him. So I, I don't see him dropping... Uh, Max Holloway with a jab or with a straight right or a left hook or a head kick. I don't see him dropping him with anything. I mean, Dennis Bermudez gets dropped every single fight. We talked about that many times. So 
This is a different matchup. This is also not a five foot six wrestler with an overhand right like Bermudez. This is a the one of the tallest men at 145 pounds, probably the second tallest guy. I think the tallest is uh, Dan Hooker, but but uh, Max Holloway is right up there. So. Yeah, he's going to get the victory here. He's going to make it nine straight. Dude, the nine fight win streak. <laughs> Holy shit. So definitely be looking at Max as a future title title challenger. I mean, I think he's going to contend for that title in the next year. Now, next up, we got the co-main event of the evening. We got Dominic Cruz. He's minus 500, which is actually a bit low. I, th I thought he'd be like minus 1,000, but that's okay. He's taking on Uriah, the California kid favor, who's plus 400 or plus 435 in, in certain books. And listen, man, Faber, much respect. You're the reason that the lighter weight classes are showcased. You know, you and BJ Penn, nothing but respect for a guy like Faber. I mean, how, how can you not respect the guy? And, you know, sometimes when you count him out, he, he goes out there and drops a guy like Michael McDonald and absolutely brutalizes him. And, you know, he's what was cool about him back in the day is that he would try different shit out there, you know? Out of nowhere, he'll be the guy that's spinning. Out of nowhere... He'll be the guy that throws that flying knee. His guillotine choke is second to none. Overhand right. The thing is, he hasn't evolved. He's still that same guy. He's great at what he does. He can beat a lot of guys in the division, but he's the same Uriah Faber he's always been. With Dominic Cruz, we're talking about a guy that revolutionized the game. We're talking about a guy that, I mean, that footwork, you know, it's funny because Brandon Vera, a couple years back, like maybe five or six years ago, he came to my gym knuckle up and he gave a seminar. And, you know, I talked to him about Cruz because at the time Vera was training at Alliance. And he was like, you know, Cruz, after practice, he spends two hours straight just working on his footwork. And, you know, at first people were like, dude, why are you fucking tap dancing, you know, after practice? Then he wins a couple world championships. Then they're like, oh, that's what he's doing. <laughs> so, you know, Dominic Cruz, the way he cuts these angles, the way he slips his head off that center line and makes you pay, he makes dudes like Dillashaw pay. Now, I personally thought Dillashaw won, but, I mean, Dillashaw would absolutely smoke favor too. And uh, But for coming off the layoff Cruz was coming off, I mean, I have nothing but respect and admiration for a guy like Dominic Cruz. He's absolutely phenomenal. He's going to put on a clinic here. The, the question is, is it going to be a decision or is it going to be a finish? I Honestly, dude, a finish isn't going to surprise me here because, look, in uh, Uriah Faber's last fight, he took on Frankie Sands and, you know, he won a decision, but it was a close decision. Both men wobbled and... Uh, that's not going to go well when you're fighting a guy like Dominic Cruz and everyone's expecting the Cruz decision, so I'm going to go with the Cruz finish here. Yeah, um, <clears throat> Dom should definitely take this one. Not No disrespect to Faber. I think Faber's uh, best chance is to catch him with a big shot and hopefully Cruz goes down this time. Um, but if this goes five rounds, we know Dom's so good at winning those close decisions. Um, even if it is a back-and-forth fight, I mean, uh, for that Edgar fight, Faber actually looked pretty good. I mean, that was one of the best um, Fabers I've seen in a while. And he still lost every he, round. He, he, he still lost every round, but that was definitely one of the better Fabers I've seen. Um, and the, But that Frankie Sainz fight, like you saw, said, I mean, they both wobbled. And, you know, on paper, he was supposed to run right through Frankie Sainz. But Sainz he was like minus 650. Sainz is, is a tough dude, but um, Dom's just footwork. He'll be able to just pick apart a flat-footed Faber take him down with those those super sharp uh, entries he has. 
And um, I just think he'll be one step ahead. Um, finish, I'll just say decision just because, I mean, he's only finished like one fight in nine years. But I wouldn't be shocked in the slightest. But uh, Faber might fight tough. So, but I got Cruz all day. Yeah, man. I mean, it most likely will be a decision. But I believe Cruz by decision is like minus 175. And Cruz by finish is like plus yeah. 275. So, I mean, you're yeah. trying to lay that juice or you're trying to take a shot. Yeah. But for me, I'm just going to pass, you know. But don't be surprised if Cruz goes out there and finishes him late with that outpouring volume, like, man. That, that pace that Cruz and Dillashaw, uh, we were watching that the other day. That pace was insane. Faber can't handle think, that I don't pace. Think, I don't think Faber can compete at that pace just flat out. I mean, he's a world-class world dude, but that pace was like something else. And uh, I don't think he can. Yeah, and listeners of the show, definitely go back and watch that uh, Cruz vs. Dillashaw fight. Watch it a couple times. I mean, it's just, it's it's a masterpiece. Yeah, it's yeah. art out there. I mean, they're <laughs> both so damn good that uh, you definitely have to rewatch it. And next up, we got the main event of the evening. We got Luke Rockhold. He's the middleweight champion. He's a minus 800 favorite. The comeback on Michael the Count Bisbing is plus 550. Now, I'm happy for Bisbing, man, because we've been watching this dude forever. And over 20 fights in the UFC, he's finally getting... His title shot. He's been waiting for this for so long. And, you know, he's coming off a, a great win over Anderson Silva. He was a plus 250 dog, which, again, we cashed that one. And here's here's the deal with this fight. Luke Rockhold's probably going to whoop his ass. But if we had to make an argument for Bisbing winning the fight, this is how Bisbing would win. He has to not go down from the kicks. He has to... He has to keep circling. He has to get on the inside and use his hands. If there's one area that I think Bisbing is better than Rockhold, I think he's got better hands than Rockhold, straight up. The kicks? No. Rockhold's kicks are absolutely devastating. And if Rockhold gets on top of you, game, set, and match. But if for some reason or some way or somehow Bisbing can avoid getting taken down, he can, <laughs> he can avoid the big kicks, and he can... Pot shot, get on the inside and throw those hands. Maybe he can get the upset, but I mean, Luke Rockles, he's gonna finish him within, you know, within the first three or four rounds. But man, I love Bisbing. I'm not, I'm not taking a shot, obviously, just because you know he's gonna lose. But I'll tell you what, man, it would make me smile big if Michael Bisbing got this, got this win here. So just get on the inside, throw your big punches. Man, the over one and a half is plus one hundred five. That might yeah, be that yeah, might be that worth a stab if, if Bisman can circle around. And I mean, yeah. the thing is, if you watch a Luke's fight with Machida, you know people only remember what happened on the ground. On the ground, he absolutely murdered him. But on the feet, Machida was actually uh, he was actually tagging him quite a bit. You know, I don't think Luke's hands are that good. I just think his his size, his kicks, his ground game, his jujitsu, his athleticism, it's top-notch but he has been KO'd stiff two times in his career so it can happen again Bisbing's not known for his knockout power even though he did floor an aging Anderson Silva so I mean Rockhold's gonna win but I mean at minus 800 there's no value and honestly at plus 550 I don't think there's any value either if it was plus 850 okay then maybe take the shot on Bisbing but Rockhold's gonna finish him but as a fan I hope Bisbing finds a way somehow you know what I'm saying dude yeah, man, uh, Rocco's better everywhere, you know, pretty clearly. Um, the kicks should be enough. Like you said, he is a bit sloppy. He kind of overextends on his punches a lot and gets, you know, hit with shots that he shouldn't get hit with. 
But um, Bisping's, I think, I think he has to somehow knock him out. But he's not known for that. He could win a decision, but the longer the fight goes, at some point, I think Rockhold will take him down and just completely dominate. But I do like that over at plus 105. Hopefully, Bisping can, you know, just last over a round and a half. But um, Rockhold should take this one and move on to hopefully fight Yoel Romero. Yeah. There you go, Yoel Romero, and then we got Robert Whitaker. I mean, there's so many contenders at 185 pounds. And, man, i got to emphasize Luke Rockhold's top control. I mean, one doesn't simply pound out Chris Weidman. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that that his ground game is probably, like, better than I would say, besides Jacare at middleweight, it's probably the best, right? You know what? I'm going to say it's, it's better, better than, than Jacare. I wanted better to say that, but I wanted to say that, but I didn't want to... Uh, I'd probably get called fucking crazy. Uh, fuck, fuck everyone. I mean, Jacare did beat Damian Maia in a jiu-jitsu match, but in MMA, I think Luke would somehow get the better of it. Hey, they called us crazy for that plus 350 on Brian Caraway. Sure. Uh, destroying hype trends. And, and, <laughs> and we outgrappled out him. We took Aljamain's back. But anyways, we got to get to these prelims, because, I mean, look, the... The co-main and the main, it's chalk. The favorites should win, but, I mean, don't don't put your house on it. You know what I mean? But first fight of the night, we got Polo Reyes. He's minus 110, and Dong Young Kim is minus 110 as well. Here's the deal with Polo Reyes. He's coming off uh, Tough Latino America. He had a nice little knockout over Cesar Arzamendia, which, man, if you watch that fight, dude, you know, Cesar, he kind of looked like he was sick in there. If you watch that Vitor versus... Uh, and Vitor Miranda, that is, versus Chris Camozzi fight that happened a week ago, you guys could see it in Vitor's face. He just didn't look the same. And that's how Cesar looked when he fought Polo Reyes. Because, I mean, Polo didn't even hit him with that hard of a shot, and he put him down. And I don't think it's due to his knockout power. I think Cesar either had a terrible weight cut, he's chinny, or he was sick, or something like that. Because Polo got taken down like five times. I'll, I'll give Polo cre uh, credit. He's got a good get-up game, man. He he gets back up from the takedowns, but his takedown defense is pretty damn bad. Now, with Dong Young Kim, this isn't uh, the stun gun. This is the maestro, just so you guys know. Dong Young Kim, he's pretty damn good. He's got good size for the weight class. He, you know, good takedowns, strong grappler. The biggest issue for him here is he's flying all the way from South Korea. We know that jet lag is serious shit. So this is a pick as the line indicates. I'm going to lean towards Kim just because, look, he's fought, you know, the better competition in the UFC. They both have one fight each, but Kim at least went three rounds with uh, Dominic Steele until he got knocked out, whereas Polo Reyes was in there with uh, Cesar Arzamendia, which no disrespect to Cesar, but we can both agree that Dominic Steele is a higher caliber opponent. And Dong Young Kim, he's got to be hungry for that first UFC victory, so I'm going to pick him. Yeah, I really don't know too much about either of these guys. I just know Polaris got a KO uh, his last fight. Um, Kim, I bet on him against uh, Dominique still, but I didn't even watch the fight, but he uh, but he lost. But um, I'll slightly lean Polaris, I guess. Uh, I know he trains at Alliance, so uh, maybe his game's gotten a lot better. So I'll just take him, and like you said, the jet lag, so... Yeah. yeah, jet lag's no fucking joke. <laughs> now, next up, we got Elvis the King Mutopchich versus Kevin the Queen Casey. And uh, Elvis Mutopchich is minus 130, and Kevin Casey is plus 110. Now, you know, it's funny because I think it should be minus 250, but I'm not playing it at minus 130, so that's kind of hypocritical of me to say. But Elvis inside the distance is plus money, and the thing is, with Kevin Casey, yeah, he does have really good jujitsu. I mean, that triangle choke that he had on a... Uh, 
Josh on Josh Saman. How the fuck did Josh Saman survive that shit? I mean, it, it it's great jujitsu. The thing is, you know, we like to talk about that heart. We like to talk about that mental fortitude. And we also like to talk about that chin. Kevin Casey has none of those. And not only that, Elvis Mutapcic, a lot of people like to look at his UFC debut and criticize him for it. But in my opinion, it was a situation like Nikita Krylov versus Soa Pulele where... The, he, he, he was simply too small. You know, uh, Francimar Bajos is just a big 205-er. Elvis took that fight up a weight class on a week's short notice, and he still went to a tough decision with him. Now he's at his normal weight class. He's had a full camp. He's got a chinny opponent. Not just a chinny opponent. A chinny opponent that will quit. So, I mean, it's like you can knock Kevin Casey out, or you can make him tap to strikes. You can make him cover up and look for the ref. So as long as Elvis took this seriously and he shows up, He's going to finish Kevin Casey. Yeah, um, I definitely took a shot on that Elvis inside the distance. But uh, to be honest, uh, Kevin Casey, he's definitely better on the mat. and um, But he's better on the mat until he gets tired. Um, once he gets to that first round, his attacks completely stop. He just stands straight still. And um, he, like you said, he looks for the door. Elvis is actually, he's really sloppy. He's really labored. He's a journeyman, but... Uh, I just think he needs to put Kevin Casey in one bad spot to make him look for the door. And in three rounds, I think he's going to get it. Now next up, we got Jonathan Wilson. He's minus 230. The comeback on Luis Henrique Da Silva Frankenstein is plus 190. It's interesting. Both guys are undefeated. Both guys are knockout artists. But if you watch the tape, oh yeah, and one more thing. Both guys have fought absolutely subpar competition up until this point. But if you look at the tape, Jonathan Wilson is the more athletic guy. He's got more knockout power. He's a more active fighter. And, you know, with uh, Luis Henrique da Silva, if you watch his last fight, you know, you look at his record, and, yeah, he knocked out Ildemar Alcantara. No one in the UFC knocked out Ildemar Alcantara. So you're like, dude, this guy might be live, right? If you watch that fight, Ildemar beat the shit out of Luis Henrique da Silva. And then in the second round, out of nowhere, uh, Ildemar just flopped to his back. Like, I, I don't know where it was like a ghost punch, dude. Like he, I don't know what happened. Cause like when I saw the record, I was like, oh, he knocked out Ildemar. No one's knocked out Ildemar, but he didn't really knock out Ildemar. Ildemar just kind of quit. I don't know what happened there. I'll, I'll give uh, Henrique's uh, credit though. He kicks very hard. He punches very hard. But the thing is, he doesn't set up his combinations. It's always one punch at a time. And I'll tell you what though. He is tough as fuck because in that Ildemar fight, he got dropped hard. He was receiving some heavy blows on the ground, and he didn't quit. And he went on to win the fight, even though Ildemar quit. Uh, Luis went on to win the fight. Now with Jonathan Wilson, like I said, I think he's more athletic. I think he's got better power. I, I just think he's the better guy here. Both have fought cans up until this point. But I see Jonathan Wilson knocking out Luis Henrique da Silva here. Yeah, I'm going with Wilson here. Um that over is uh, plus 115 right now um, you know maybe they <clears throat> maybe the finish doesn't come till round two or you know later but um, I think Wilson just hits is gonna be able to catch him at some point with the left hand um, and I uh, get a KO like you said Enrique De Silva only throws one punch at a time and I think Wilson's got a speed advantage and a power advantage and um, I think he's gonna get a finish all right, well, we got one more fight to talk about. That's Cole Miller. He's minus 190, and the comeback on Alex Bruce Leroy Caceres is plus 165. Now, I agree in the sense that Cole Miller is the better fighter, but we all know the better fighter doesn't always win. Cole Miller is battle-worn. His 
chin is deteriorating. He uh, he gets discouraged a lot in fights that don't go his way. Now with Caceres, I mean, he's a 500 fighter. Also, he, you know, he's 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 declining as well. Even though he's a young guy, you know, he's not the same guy that we're used to. But with this fight, man, you know, I think Cole Miller is really let down by the fact that he's not fighting his hero BJ Penn anymore. So it could be one of those situations where the late switch actually fucks with him mentally and he might not show up on fight night. And you see the line minus 190. That's the perfect line to fade. So if you're going to make a play on the shot, uh, uh, if you're going to make a play on this fight, maybe take the shot on Caceres. I mean, I think Cole's the better fighter, but there's something about you know, their energy and, you know, who wants it more at this point in their respective careers that makes me lean Caceres, actually. I think that uh, he can frustrate Cole and beat him. But at the same time, if Cole used that long-range striking and got a nice guillotine in there, I wouldn't be surprised either. But at the price, I'll go with the dog. Yeah, it's either dog or pass for me as well. Um, when Caceres got announced, I was actually really interested in him uh, betting. But, you know, as I was watching him... Um, there's nothing really special that he does. He's really wild. He does have the element of surprise. He will land something flashy or do something wild. Like you said, I'm, if I, I would definitely not bet on Cole Miller in this spot just because his, his, like you said, his chin, I think his chin's deteriorating. He's unreliable. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's just, it's a matter of, it. can you predict, uh, Cole Miller going down, but if Cole Miller got this to the floor, I definitely think he has the advantage. His ground game is nasty, as we know. He's subbed many people, um, but like you said, he has the tendency to lose these fights from like the Steven Siler fight, the Manny Gamburian fight, fighting close with Andy Ogle, these types of fights that he should win occasionally. Even the uh, Jim Allers fight, he could have he he kept going, but we saw what happened. No offense to him, but I just think in this spot, I, I got to look more into Caceres, but um, I'm considering it. But as of now, I'm passing, but I definitely like that line on him. And um, we'll make talks then. <laughs> you know, it's funny. People are going to be like, oh, you're not going to support your Georgia boy, Cole Miller? Well, first of all, Cole's from Macon. He's not from Atlanta, just so y'all know. So, uh, <laughs> you know, no, he's a cool dude. But the thing is, you guys know, we, we don't pick on, you know, it's funny. I'm about to say we don't pick our friends, even though I pick Vic, but... Look, it is what it is, man. In this spot, you take the shot on Caceres or you pass. Now, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So, what what's the fight to watch, man? The fight to watch is Dustin Poirier versus Bobby Green. And the fighter to watch is Dustin Poirier. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree at all. I mean, listen, if Poirier goes in there and takes out Bobby Green, or at least dominantly beats him, he's going to set himself in that same position he was in at Featherweight, in that yeah. top five spot. And I mean that's what he wants, man. That you know we gotta we gotta get these guys like Gilbert Melendez out of there. Yeah. I, you know, I know our boy Edson Barboza. He's <laughs> he's about to take out the trash. But uh, yeah, I mean Dustin's got a big opportunity here, and I I think he'll capitalize. Now, for me, the fight to watch. Holy shit, there's a lot of fucking good fights on this card. But let's talk about the fighter to watch. Obviously, it's James Vick. I mean, look, <laughs> he he's taking on his first top ten guy. You know, initially he's supposed to fight Evan Dunham. And uh, that was going to be his first top 15 guy. And, you know, people are saying shit like, oh, he's never fought anyone like Benny, this and that, you know. Cody Garbrandt had never fought anyone like Tomas Almeida, right? People rise to the occasion all the time. And that's what Vic's going to do here. Now, for my fight to watch, I'll make that my fight to watch too. Because, look, Benny is no slouch at all. Benny comes to fight. Benny is experienced. And uh, this is going to be a serious fight while it lasts. The thing is, 
You know, if Vic's able to pop that jab and gas him out, you might see Benny huffing and puffing, shooting for a takedown from a mile away. You might see him get knocked out. I was going to say for the first time in his UFC career, but I just remembered that guy Ramsey did it. So <laughs> maybe the second time. But uh, that's the fight to watch. Benny's an unbelievable fighter. Vic's a great fighter too. And, you know, we'll see who wants it more. We'll see who's going who's gonna to climb up the ranks. So I want to thank you guys so much for taking the time to check out Half the Battle. Thank you so much. Thank you, MMA Genius, for joining me. And real quick, just let the audience know where to follow you, man. Yeah, man, just follow me at uh, MMA Genius 05, and uh, we'll shoot the shit. Yeah, for sure, man. Follow me at Best Fight Picks. Go to bestfightpicks.com. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And until the next time, enjoy the fights. And real quick, if you're in L.A. for UFC 199, hit up your boy.